Anything short of an eternal goal is no real consequential goal at all. Eternity that often seems so far away is actually hand in front of the face close. For many, its beginning arrives abruptly and unannounced, and at this place, the effects of an eternal goal will be known throughout eternity. If you could have had a conversation with the Apostle Paul, you can be certain his eternal goal while here on the earth would not have been expanding his tent business into a global behemoth. He was a tent maker by trade, but rather his goal would have been something infinitely more glorious than earthly wealth, even something that would fill eternity. Actually, one does have that very conversation with the Apostle Paul concerning his eternal goal. It's found in Philippians 3, 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. An old sister mentioned to a brother and I while we were attending a funeral wake that all of our efforts for Christ would be realized downline from us, even as all Christianity follows downline from Jesus Christ. The fruits of the Christian effort will be known on the eternal street of gold forever. The true goal of the born again is to draw souls unto the mercy and love of God which is found in the cross of Christ. God's goal for the fallen sons of Adam is declared in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you considered using the resources of God said, man said, to bear more fruit in the kingdom of God? Presently on this site there are 887 features, covering a host of topics from Adam's rib to quantum physics. Think of a friend you would like to win to Christ, or a believer whom you would like to edify. Think of any subject you think they might find interesting. Go up to the God Said Man search bar on your right, type in your keyword, and the screen will populate with related subjects. Use the God, uh, God Said Man Said Telefriend feature to send the message you've selected to your friend. It will open up a highway of godly commu communication. Many of you visiting today have yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to be literally born again, to be born a second time as a son or daughter of God. Make your move for Christ today. Tell others of your decision, and you will immediately begin to store up riches and glory. Make your move for Christ today, and all your sin and shame will be washed away, and Satan's bondage is broken. Make your move today. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions an immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Genesis six twelve through 17, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, 
I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within, and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth, to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. God said, Genesis seven eighteen through 24, And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days." God said, Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Man said, The idea of Noah and his ark in a global flood of judgment is stupid. It's simply bizarre that those backwoods Bible thumpers embrace such an obvious fairy tale. Now the record. God said man said has published a plethora of features regarding the biblical record of Noah's Ark, and new information is uncovered almost daily that continues to confirm God's Word. Foundational excerpts from previous God said man said features follow, and then a sampling of a new, beautiful, Bible-confirming findings. God said man said, Noah shows up in Washington State. So many things, billions, even innumerable, shout absolutely yes to the miraculous story of Noah's Ark. The mountain of evidence continues to grow, yet skeptics and vociferous challengers still manage to cling on. At the end of this article, we will list the link to Noah features and related subjects for your perusal, all whose evidence shouts yes. Paleontology says yes. Archaeology says yes. Geology says yes. Nearly 500 ancient societal records say yes. Fish fossils on every mountain peak. Flood strata covering 75% of the earth all say yes. Billions of fossils buried by water action say yes. Dinosaurs say yes. Soft tissue and dinosaur bones say yes. The Grand Canyon says yes. The reemergence of global catastrophism says yes. They all say yes. Carnal academia must resist no at all costs, for if they yield to the amazing accumulation of evidence that certifies Noah, they will have lost all. Their ungodly educations, their ungodly careers, 
their ungodly universities, their ungodly textbooks, videos, publications, and theories of evolution would all be gone. Then it would be, how do I pay the mortgage? How do I become gainfully employed, producing something of real value? If Noah is true, and he is, they are in a heap of trouble, heaps upon heaps. But it doesn't end there. Now now something else sets in. A soon-coming judgment day, when the God of Noah sits upon his throne, and all men stand before him to give an account of their deeds, and how they have handled the issue of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is more than the ungodly can endure. They must resist. The headline in the July 8, 2012 issue of Discover magazine reads, Traces of the Great Flood. And the subhead reads, Geologists long rejected the notion that floods of biblical proportions had ever occurred until one of them found proof of a Noah-like catastrophe in the widely eroded river valleys of Washington State. Excerpts follow. Hiking through eastern Washington canyons, littered with exotic boulders, is a standard field trip for beginning geologists. It takes a while to register what you see. A dry waterfall, hundreds of feet high in the middle of the desert. Giant potholes, where no river flows today. Granite boulders parked in a basalt canyon. Gradually, the contradictions fall into place and the story unfolds. Where did wayward boulders the size of a car or house come from? What was the source of the water that moved them around and carved the falls? Long before the discovery of the Scablands, geologists dismissed the role of catastrophic floods in interpreting European geology. By the end of the 19th century, such ideas not only were out of fashion, but were geological heresy. When J. Harlan Bretz uncovered evidence of giant floods in eastern Washington in the 1920s, it took most of the 20th century for other geologists to believe him. Geologists had so thoroughly vilified the concept of great floods that they could not believe it when somebody actually found evidence of one. Bress was a classic field geologist and a controversial figure throughout his career. In 1925, he represented, excuse me, he presented the story of the region's giant floods, seeing what others at first could not and then would not see. He spent his lifetime piecing together the story of how a raging wall of water, hundreds of feet high, roared across eastern Washington, carving deep channels before cascading down the Columbia River Gorge as a wall of water high enough to turn Oregon's Willamette Valley into a vast backwater lake. Brett's found exotic granite boulders perched on basalt cliffs, hundreds of feet above the highest recorded river level. In the Scablands, a desolate region stripped of soil, he came across dry waterfalls and potholes hundreds of feet above the modern river. Gigantic gravel bars deposited with dry valleys implied deep, fast-flowing water. Streamlined hills rose like islands, extending more than 100 feet above the scoured-out channelways. He realized the chaotic landscape had been carved by an enormous flood that chewed deep channels through hundreds of feet of solid basalt. Bress was ridiculed in 1940, until 1940, excuse me, 
when geologist Joe Pardee described giant ripple marks on the bed of Lake Masula. The 50-foot-high ripples, he said, were formed by fast-flowing currents and not by the sluggish bottom water of a lake. End of quote. The final paragraph in that five-page feature reads, Did survivors of such an event pass their stories down through the ages? Could the biblical story of Noah on some level be real? End of quote. God said, man said feature, Noah's Ark and Societal Records. John D. Morse, Ph.D., president of the Institute for Creation Research, authored the feature article, Traditions of a Global Flood, in the November 2014 issue of Acts and Facts, and several paragraphs follow. One of the strongest evidences for the global flood that annihilated all the people on earth except for Noah and his family has been the presence of flood legends in the folklore of people groups from around the world. And the stories are all so similar. Local geography and cultural aspects may be present, but they all seem to be telling the same story. Over the years, I have collected more than 200 of these stories, originally reported by various missionaries, anthropologists, and ethnologists. While the differences are not always trivial, the common essence of the stories is instructive as compiled below. Number one, was there a favored family? 88% of the accounts say yes. Number two, were they forewarned? 66%. Three, was the flood due to the wickedness of man? 66%. Four, was the catastrophe only a flood? 95% of the stories say yes. Number five, was the flood global? 95%. Six, was survival due to a boat? 70%. Number seven, were animals also saved? 67%. Number eight, did animals play any part? 73%. Number nine, did survivors land on a mountain? 57% of the accounts say yes. Number 10, was the geography local? 82%. Number 11, were birds sent out? 35%. Number 12, was the rainbow mentioned? 7%. 13, did survivors offer a sacrifice? 13%. Number 14, were specifically eight persons saved? 9% of the stories said yes. End of quote. God said, man said, evidence of a legendary flood keeps flooding in. New York Times, August 4, 2016, under the heading, Scientific Evidence of Flood May Give Credence to Legend of China's First Dynasty. The account reads, Scientists have found evidence of a catastrophic flood that overwhelmed the upper Yellow River Valley of China some 4,000 years ago, an event that they say may confirm the historical basis of China's semi-legendary first, uh, excuse me, first dynasty. The leader of a team of researchers at Peking University in Beijing said its reconstruction of the outburst flood showed that ancient accounts of the Great Flood may well be rooted in a historic natural event. But records of the first dynasty, that of the Chai, contained stories of a great flood with a Noah-like savior, the Emperor Yu, who gained the mandate of heaven uh, after dredging cana canal canals excuse me, to dispel the floodwaters and make the land safe. Historians have long wondered whether this flood account was a creation-style myth 
the folk memory of a real event or some mixture of the two. Some have dismissed the story of Emperor Yu as a fiction intended to justify centralized rule and, in the absence of any evidence of a massive flood at the time, may have regarded the stories of the Chai dynasty as more myth than history. A team of archaeologists and geologists led by Quinlong Wu of Peking University in Beijing has now discovered evidence of a massive flood that they say could be the great flood mentioned in the Chinese annals, end of quote. God said, man said, Noah's Ark, update two. According to an article reported in the January 1999 issue of Discover magazine titled 40 Days and 40 Nights, more or less, a great flood of possibly Noahic proportion did take place in ancient times. Excerpts follow. About 7,500 years ago, they're off about 3,000 years, a flood poured 10 cubic miles of water a day, 130 times more than flows over Niagara Falls from the Mediterranean Sea into the Black Sea, abruptly turning the formerly freshwater lake into a brackish inland sea. The evidence has been slowly accumulating over the past five years. In 1993, William Ryan and Walter Pittman of Columbia University Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory dug up cores of sediment from the bottom of the Black Sea. The core samples showed that the sea's outer margins had once been dry land and that it had been two-thirds its present size. Furthermore, over the entire sea bottom was a thin, uniform layer of sediment that could only have been deposited during a flood. This past year, even more evidence came to light when researchers collected the sediment samples from several new nearby sites. If there had been a flood, there would have been a flood everywhere, says Ryan. So we know that we had to find the same features, the same evidence that the Black Sea had once been smaller. The new samples are consistent with that story. In an article in the Smithsonian written by James Treffel under the heading Evidence of a Flood, he reports on the research of Columbia University geologist Ryan and Pittman. Treffel reports on the research that claims that antediluvian ocean levels were about 400 feet lower than they are today, and that the east coast of the United States was 75 to 150 miles farther out than it is today, and places like Manhattan and Baltimore would have been inland cities. Of course, this was the result of God changing the world's atmospheric structure when he opened the windows of heaven and poured the waters down for 40 days and 40 nights. The core samples taken by Ryan and Pittman from the area of the Black Sea led them to believe that a flood of noetic proportion actually occurred, or they don't make the complete jump to global. The following paragraph is from the Smithsonian. It was this event that Pittman and Ryan believed could be the flood recorded in the book of Genesis. The salt water poured through the deepening channel, creating a waterfall 200 times the volume of Niagara Falls. Anyone who has ever traveled to the base of the falls on the Maid of the Mist will have a sense of the power involved. In a single day, enough water came through the channel to cover Manhattan to a depth of at least two miles, or excuse me, two times the height of the World Trade Center, and the roar of the cascading water would have been audible at least 100 miles away, end of quote. 
The following information is quoted from the November 2007 issue of Discover Magazine under the title, Did a Comet Cause the Great Flood? This story reviews discoveries made by environmental archaeologist Bruce Massey of Los Alamos National Laboratory. Massey believes that he has uncovered evidence that a gigantic comet crashed into the Indian Ocean several thousand years ago and nearly wiped out all life on the planet. What's more, he thinks that clues about the catastrophe are hiding in plain sight, embedded in the creation stories of cultural groups around the world. Massey's epiphany came while poring over Hawaiian oral histories regarding the goddess Pili and wondering what they might reveal about the lava flows that uh, episodically destroy human settlements and create new tracts of land. He reasoned that even though the stories are often clouded by exaggerations and mystical explanations, many may refer to actual incidents. He tested his hypothesis by cross-checking carbon-14 ages for the lava flows against dates included in Royal Hawaiian genealogies. The result? Several flows matched up with the specific re uh, uh, rains associated with them in the oral histories. Other myths, Massey theorized, hold similar clues. Massey's biggest idea is that some 5,000 years ago, a three-mile-wide ball of rock and ice swung around the sun and smashed into the ocean off the coast of Madagascar. The ensuing cataclysm sent a series of 600-foot-high tsunamis crashing against the world's coastlines and injected plumes of superheated water vapor and aerosol particles into the atmosphere. Within hours, the infusion of heat and moisture blasted its way into jet streams and spawned super-hurricanes that pummeled the other side of the planet. For about a week, material ejected into the atmosphere plunged the world into darkness. All told, up to 80% of the world's population may have perished, making it the single most lethal event in history. End of quote. Massey's getting close, but he's still short of the correct assessment. The great destruction cited by Massey is said to have happened at the end of the Permian period, where it is estimated that 70% of land species and 95% of ocean species were destroyed. They keep tripping over the truth, but refuse to acknowledge the obvious. End of quotes. Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep, and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. The fountains of the great deep broken up, the Bible says. Does science have its own understanding of this catastrophe? From the August 2017 issue of Scientific American, under the heading Fire and Ice, we find this paragraph. Lead study author David Jones, a geologist at Amherst College, did not expect this to be the case for the first mass extinction. He initially set out to further disprove the volcanic explanation. But when he cooked late Ordovician rocks from Nevada and southern China in the laboratory, 
They released large amounts of mercury, a telltale sign that volcanoes had rocked our world. End of quote. What should you conclude when you find the same waterborne rock layer covering all three continents? The following excerpt is from the December 2017 issue of Acts and Facts and was written by science writer Brian Thomas, M.S. The project revealed where and how far muddy floodwaters must have flowed to deposit each vast continent-sized continuous rock layer. It turned out that the maximum level of coverage is the same on all three continents as though the same global phenomenon affected them all. The picture of Noah's flood is now clearer than ever, end of quote. Geologist Tim Clary, Ph.D., writes in the November 2017 issue of Acts and Facts under the title, Resolving the Sheet Sand Enigma. Extensive thin sheet sandstone layers continue to baffle secular geologists. They have failed to develop an acceptable model to explain these widespread deposits, and yet there they are, stacked one on top of the other across multiple continents. It appears that these geologists' refusal to take into account the history recorded in the Word of God is blinding them to the real explanation for the vast sandstone layers. Genesis clearly describes a global flood event. The flood offers the only reasonable explanation for the thin, uniform sandstones that were deposited at the same time across multiple continents. God's Word can resolve many mysteries— if we simply choose to believe it, end of quote. The week, February 16, 2018, reports on a bus-length dinosaur called Mansurosaurus Shehim, unearthed in Egypt's Sahara Desert, both of which were products of the global flood of judgment. March 10, 2017, headline in National Geographic reads, Giant catfish fossil six and a half feet long found in Egyptian desert. The September 14, 2013 headline on BBC, Sea fossils found in Peruvian desert. Southern Peru has unearthed a trove of ancient sea fossils. Headline, June 5, 2015, The Mirror. Archaeologists find a 40 million year old whale fossil in the desert and it has another whale inside it. This fossil is the result of Noah's flood, and it is not 40 million years old. A couple of sentences from the August 14, 2015 issue of the Daily News follow. The Wales Graveyard Desert, where the ancient fossilized remains of nature's gentle giants lie on the floor of a long-lost ocean. Much of Egypt was once covered by vast ancient ocean. Headline, January 29, 2018, USA Today. Holy Grail of Dinosaur Fossils Discovered in Egyptian Desert. Answers in Genesis reports the following from a November 26, 2011 release from MSNBC. Whale fossils protruding from Cerro Bolina cliffs in Chile's uh, Antacama Desert north of Caldera, thanks to a road-widening project, are finally being excavated. The fossil graveyard census is now up to 75 whales and includes at least 20 partially intact specimens. 
The fossil bonanza is spawning some fantastic fishtails in an effort to explain how the bus-sized aquatic beasts got there. The scientists have yet to publish their findings, but a variety of opinions have been advanced to explain how these whales ended up half a mile from the ocean in the high, dry Atacama Desert. Answers in Genesis continues, Most of the fossils are baleen whales, although the collection already includes a sperm whale and an extinct two-tusked dolphin. The only other known specimen of this dolphin was found farther north in Peru's famous Pisca Formation, a fossil graveyard containing 346 whales. The Pisca Formation has excited controversy because uniformitarian scientists cannot see how the diatomite sediment in which the fossils are preserved could have been rapidly produced to cause the simultaneous death and burial of hundreds of whales. Creation scientists point out, however, that the warm, mineral-rich waters produced by the flood would have been able to support the catastrophic diatom bloom, evidence that Pisco causing aquatic death on a massive scale. End of quote. Discover Magazine, January-February 2018 edition, touts the feature, How to Preserve a Dinosaur, concerning the very rare, intact, tank-like nautosaur fossil, and reports the following. Dr. Henderson, the Royal Terrell's curator of dinosaurs, believes that soon after death, the nautosaur's bloated carcass floated down a river out the ancient Alberton Sea, where eventually the body went pop, and he sank like a stone. Sediment must have then rapidly buried the body, preserving it with lifelike detail, end of quote. The week's February 23, 2018 headline reads, A Dinosaur Stomping Ground. Excerpts follow. A 110-million-year-old slab of rock covered with dinosaur and ancient mammal tracks has been unearthed in NASA's backyard. The remarkable rock was spotted in 2012 by amateur fossil hunter Ray Stanford, who noticed the distinctive footprint of a nautosaur, an armored tank-like dinosaur, as he left the parking lot at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland. Years of excavation and analysis have since revealed that the 8.5-foot-long slab of sandstone has some 70 fossilized prints from at least eight different types of animal, making it one of the best fossil trackways in the world. I like to call it the Rosetta Stone. Martin Lockley, a dinosaur track expert who took part in the research, told the Washington Post. Because the tracks do not overlap, Lockley suspects they were laid down within hours or days of one another. End of quotes. Note the key words. Sandstone which is laid down by water action and laid down within hours or days of one another. Where do all the crazy long dates posted by evolutionists come from if, in fact, the global flood took place just over 4,300 years ago? The foundation of their unbelief is a concept called uniformitarianism. Their entire edifice of unbelief requires the absolute rejection of two historical facts that can be and are proven beyond any reasonable doubt. On God Said, Man Said, there are presently 887 feature subjects that endorse and prove the inerrancy of the Word of God by multiple third-party sources. These feature articles are stored on this website in text and streaming audio. The Bible is proven time after time. 
Now let the skeptics prove any anti-biblical position they hold true. We await. The historic facts rejected by carnaldom, which are foundational to their unbelief, are one, the rejection of the concept of the creation of the earth with its universe, its Adam and Eve, and so on, and two, their casting off of Noah and a devastating global flood. Rejecting these historic facts is required in order to house their carnal doctrine of uniformitarianism, which basically states that the present defines the past and that all events in the geological process happen at a uniform, constant pace. Since they reject the notion of creation, had they met Adam five seconds after his creation, they would have assumed history when there was none. Excuse me. They would have looked at the earth and its ecosystem, the sun, the moon, and the planets, assuming history when there was none. Their uniformity just dissolved. Secondly, the absolute atmospheric and global devastation that took place during the flood in the days of Noah would not be considered uniform geology even by the most ardent skeptics. The billions of years of purported history offered up by the evolutionists are founded on assumptions built upon their doctrine of uniformitarianism. Their assumption of history and constantly is woefully lacking. End of quote. God said a global flood, and everywhere you look, you'll see the results absolutely everywhere. God said Genesis chapter 6, 12 through 14 and verse 17. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. God said, Genesis chapter 7, verses 18 through 24. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days. God said, Matthew 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Man said, the idea of Noah and his ark and a global flood of judgment is stupid. It's simply bizarre that these backwoods Bible thumpers embrace such an obvious fairy tale. Now you have the record.